Good morning. Hope everyone enjoyed their Christmas. Glad you could be with us here today. Um, If you've been out at all during the Christmas season, you know that we've been looking at the faces of Christmas. And we've looked at Herod and Joseph, the shepherds. We looked at Mary last week. And we kind of looked at Christmas through their eyes. And today we're going to take a look at the wise men. Uh, We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there and we'll hop into the scripture in a second. Um, I've always been fascinated by the wise men. I can remember being really young and going to church and there's a picture of the wise men on their camels heading east and uh, proudly telling my parents that there are the wise guys. They're right there. And uh, I guess never fully understanding the mistake I made when I said that, I became just like I thought they were, um, a wise guy. But seriously, the, their story has been fascinating to me from a young age. Uh, we Three Kings is my favorite um, Christmas carol. I remember in high school, I know there's some Gloucester County Christian alums out there, so maybe you guys did this too. But um, Holly Ham's Holiday Mystery. He was our, that was my Bible teacher's name, was Holly Ham. That's his actual name. Um, but I remember he gave us like a bunch of scriptures. I don't remember exactly how he set it up, but we had to figure out like what this mystery was. And essentially, the mystery was that the wise men weren't actually a part of Christmas Day. They came much later, and he gave us scriptures, and we were able, had to piece it together to figure that out. But the story of the wise men has always been fascinating. Mark mentioned when he spoke about Herod, um, the documentary, um, The Star of Bethlehem. And I watched it, and honestly, after I watched it, I was like, I wish I could just show that and just have a seat, and we could all watch that <laughs> together. Like, that would be awesome. Um, but that's not really fitting for this time. But I do strongly recommend it to you. It was really cool. I really liked it. Um, but as I was preparing for this, I kept thinking about the movie Field of Dreams. Has anyone seen Field of Dreams? It's like one of my favorite movies. I've watched it a lot. Um, and I'm not ashamed to say that it brings a tear to my eye, probably more now than when I was younger. Um, but it's one of my favorites, and I love it. And Kevin Costner plays this character who was raised in New York. He went to uh, Berkeley for college. So born and raised in cities, lived in big cities his whole life. He gets married, and he moves to Iowa to become a farmer. And he knows nothing about farming, absolutely nothing. But he ends up being mildly successful after figuring some things out. He's got a nice cornfield. His family is able to make a living. Then the movie gets good. Then he starts hearing voices, and he starts seeing signs, and they're telling him to do things, different things. If you've seen the movie, you know what they are. But he never knows why he's doing it. He never knows exactly what the journey will look like. In fact, there's a lot of twists and turns that are surprises to him as he tries to obey these weird voices and tries to do, follow through with these signs. But he's compelled to do these things because deep down, he knows that it will be worth it. So as we look at the wise men, as I was looking at the wise men, and they embark on this journey, 
I was reminded of field of dreams because the wise men only partially knew what they were getting into. They don't know what the journey will be like. They don't know exactly where this star will lead them. They aren't sure really what they're going to get out of it, if they're going to get anything out of it. But they know that in the end, it'll be worth it. So let's take a look at the wise men now. Uh, We'll read verses 1 to 6 to start from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So the wise men show up after the excitement of Christmas has passed. The shepherds have seen their angel. They made their journey. They visited the baby, and then they returned to their fields. The manger in which Jesus was born was returned to the use of the animals. And Mary and Joseph finally had time to recover, to relax from their long journey and their crazy night. Then the Magi come on the scene, and they find King Herod, and they ask about this baby born to be king. They say, we saw his star rise. But Herod knows nothing about this. Herod doesn't answer them by explaining, oh yeah, I remember that night. This is what happened. This is where the baby is. Herod, this seems to be news to Herod. He wasn't expecting this to happen. It's all news to him, and in fact, He's upset by it. He's frightened by this news. He's afraid. He's upset. Whatever the wise men saw that made them take this journey, Herod didn't see it. Herod wasn't a part of all the hubbub that preceded this encounter. And why was that? Was Herod just busy? He was a king. I'm sure he had a lot on his plate. He, maybe he was busy building his temple or his city. But we see that all of Jerusalem was scared with him. So they didn't see it either. Whatever the wise men saw that made them know that there was a baby born king of the Jews, Herod didn't see it. All of Jerusalem didn't see it. And it's interesting that they were scared, that fear was their response. Why fear? Fear has kind of been a common thread through the Christmas story that we've been looking at through the faces of Christmas. It's not probably something we think of when we think about Christmas. But angels appeared to Joseph and to Mary and to the shepherds, all with a message of, do not be afraid. The wise men come to Herod with news, and he is afraid. And we can kind of understand Herod's fear a little bit. The more you know about Herod, or even if you just imagine, put yourself in his shoes. He was a little bit of a paranoid guy. Um, He loved being king, I guess, and he wanted to hold on to that. And so a baby born to be king meant that Herod would no longer be king. If the news that the Magi brought was true, then this baby posed a threat to Herod's power. 
And that threat was to be dealt with. But Jerusalem is afraid with him. Why is Jerusalem afraid? The news of a king should be good news. They didn't like Herod. So a baby-born king of the Jews, the coming Messiah that they had been waiting for for centuries, finally arrived, and their response is fear. Perhaps they know Herod a little bit too well. They know that this news will not sit well with their current king. They'd seen, or at least they've heard, him quiet potential threats before. Herod killed, had his sons, some of his sons killed because he viewed them as a threat. So maybe Jerusalem knew this. And as we know, Herod does end up taking drastic measures and great sorrow is brought to Jerusalem. But what I really want to point out about Herod's fear is that it shows the Magi had credibility. Their message was believable. It was believable that a message could be found in the stars, that a baby could be born king of the Jews, and that they knew that because of the stars. When they come and they tell Herod this news and that they've heard it through, really they've seen it through the stars, Herod doesn't laugh them off and say, you guys are silly, like, that's impossible. You don't look at the stars and figure stuff out. That's not how it works. He didn't laugh them off. He didn't shoo them away. He didn't try to explain the problem away. He believed it. And because he believed it, he was afraid. And all of Jerusalem with him. It wasn't just Herod's paranoia that caused him to fear. It was the fact that this claim the Magi were making had some truth to it. It could be real. You're only afraid of things that you believe in. right? Once you find out that the boogeyman's not real, you're not afraid of him. But when you think he could be real, you can't go to sleep at night. We're not afraid of things that we know aren't true. But things that could be true, those things can be scary. So whatever the Magi saw was believable. But it wasn't obvious. If it was obvious... Herod would have known about it. Herod would have seen this baby as a threat, and he would have taken care of that about two years ago. He wouldn't have waited. He would have acted right away. All of Jerusalem didn't see it, because if they saw it, they would have sought this king out as well. They probably would have tried to hide this news, hide this baby from King Herod, knowing the steps that he might take to get rid of it. So why did Herod, why did all of Jerusalem miss out on this sign? Why did the Magi see it? They saw it because they were looking for it. It was something that could be found, but apparently you had to look for it. Whatever it was that they saw told them that there was a baby born to be king of the Jews. God was doing something amazing, and he made a way for his people, for his creation, to be a part of it. He put a sign in the stars, and they missed it. They missed the sign, except for these few magi from the east. And that was kind of a continued trend throughout Jesus' life, that people kept missing the signs from his birth here at the star throughout his life where he performs miracles and these wonderful signs that should be pointing people to him as the Messiah, but instead, people are confused. They have their own thoughts. They have their doubts. 
They were preoccupied doing their own thing. They had their own presuppositions of what a Messiah would actually do for them. And so they missed out on what Christ came to offer them. And so I wonder how many of us, 2,000 years later, get too caught up in our own doubts, get too preoccupied, get too caught up in our own presuppositions of what God should be doing to actually see what God is doing. We know what our lives are supposed to look like. We know that a good God would give us certain things, that he would only treat us a certain way, and we're not getting those things. So we ignore God. We push God away. We refuse to submit to Christ because we're too busy, we're too smart, or we're too worried about what living a life for Christ would actually look like. And we want to be in control, right? We all like to be in control. We want to know what, we take what we think we know God wants, and we take it upon ourselves to bring that about, right? We think we have good intentions, we think we know what God wants, and thanks for the hint, God, now I'll go do it, like I got this. We want to be in control. God wants my family to be provided for, so it's up to me to get that done. God wants my children to be faithful, so it's up to me to make sure that they're faithful. God wants me to have a good job. God wants me to have lots of friends. God wants me to get good grades. There are plenty of things that we think or we know that God wants from us, and then we take it upon ourselves. We take on that burden to get those things done instead of relying on God. God wants this, this, and this, and it's up to me to do it. And we tell ourselves that half-truth because it's easier to trust ourselves than it is to trust God. It's easier to walk by sight than it is to walk by faith. It's easier, but it's not better. It's probably not going to work out, but it's easier. We're used to that. We're used to walking by sight. We're used to making decisions based on our emotions, based on what we want and our desires. We're used to dealing with the fallout from that. We don't want to, but... I'd rather be in control and deal with the mess than give up control. We're not used to walking by faith. So we seek to control. Of course, God wants your family to be provided for. He wants your children to be faithful. He wants lots of good things for you, but he's not so weak that he needs you to do it. He doesn't need you to be in control. He's not depending on you to get those things done. We blind ourselves to what we think it means to be provided for, what we think it means to follow God's plan, and then we we get the first hint of God's direction, and we just take off running. We never look back to see if we're doing the right thing, and so in the name of doing God's work, we end up ignoring God. We end up like Herod. When someone who can actually see what God is doing, when someone who's actually walking by faith comes along, crosses our paths, and says, hey, this is what I think God is doing in your life. They kind of cut through all the things that we've blinded ourselves to. They point them out to us and they say, look, this is what God is doing in your life. We're afraid. 
People speak truth into our lives and we respond in fear. And those in our sphere of influence, our spouses, our children, our co-workers, our friends, they're like all of Jerusalem and they become afraid with us. They see our fear and they know it can't be good news for them. We get caught up in doing what we think we're supposed to do and then we never check in with God. We aren't asking God to lead lead us. We're taking what we think God wants and then we're just taking it on ourselves and we're just going through with it. And when people point out that maybe that's not what God is doing, we respond in fear because that's not what we expected. That's not what we were planning on. And so when the Magi come to King Herod and they bring this news of a baby born king of the Jews, they come with what they think is good news. We have good news. We want to come and see this baby who was born to be king. But Herod doesn't respond as if he was just told good news. Jerusalem doesn't respond as if they've just heard good news. Because it doesn't follow along with their plan. So they're afraid. Herod wasn't looking to see what God was doing. And Jerusalem was blinded by their circumstances. And they weren't looking either. But the Magi were looking. They were watching for God to act. And then when he did, they wanted to be a part of it. The Magi saw something in the east because they were watching for it. Herod and Jerusalem missed out on it because they were too busy to look for it. Now, the Magi didn't just see something and make note of it, right? We know we have records dating way back before Jesus of the stars and what was going on. But the Magi didn't just keep notes. They didn't just write a book about what they saw. They actually jumped in with both feet. They saw something worth traveling for, worth waiting for, and worth worshiping. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly where the Magi came from. We just know that they went or they came from the east. And so I remember growing up kind of, I don't know when this thought came into my head, if it was my own or somebody uh, led me there. But I remember for a while growing up thinking that they came from China because we know that the Chinese dating back centuries and centuries before Jesus, that they had excellent astronomical records of the stars and what was going on. And so it kind of made sense that they would go, they would come from there. Now, if they did, from China to Jerusalem is a heck of a trek. If you just look at Google Maps when you go home, and that'd be quite a journey. And so maybe that's where they came from. I don't know. Um, But obviously, the fact that the ancient Chinese recorded the stars doesn't mean that that's definitely where they came from. Another theory I heard that actually came from that movie, uh, The Star of Bethlehem, which seems to have some credence to it, is that maybe they came from Babylon. Babylon... Still, a trek is much closer than China. Um, It would have taken nine and a half days of nonstop travel to get from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, obviously, they wouldn't have traveled over a week nonstop. They would have had to rest. Their camels or their horses or whatever their transportation was would have had to rest. So chances are it took weeks from when they set out to get to their destination. Now, that's a lot of travel. I, did anyone travel for the holidays this past Christmas? No far travelers? The, all those people aren't here, right? Um, 
But maybe you've traveled for the holidays before, and it's kind of a bummer, isn't it? I mean, it's fun to go see whoever you're going to see, but the actual traveling kind of ruins the mood pretty quickly. And then when you finally get to where you're going, you have to take some time to recover and to get over your road rage and actually enjoy the holidays. Whether it's getting violated by a TSA agent at the airport or sitting at the park in the parking lot known as the New Jersey Turnpike, traveling can kind of put a bummer on your holidays. Luckily for the Magi, I don't think they had a deal with either of those two problems specifically. Um, but they traveled for at least two weeks to get to where they were going. What are you willing to travel two weeks for? The list is probably pretty small. You know, sorry, Grandma, I'm just going to send a card this year. Maybe I can Skype in for Christmas. I don't know if I can make the two-week trek. But that's not the attitude <clears throat> that we see from the Magi. They were watching for something, and when you watch for something and you wait for something, and then it finally happens, it causes you to act. It wasn't enough for the wise men to see the sign in the east and then to celebrate from home. This was something that they wanted to be a part of, something they were willing to go great lengths for. We don't know exactly how far they traveled, but what strikes me more than the distance they went was the distance they must have been willing to go. I didn't know very little about the stars. I can find Orion's belt pretty easy. Um, But after that, I got nothing. Um, And to travel by the stars, I know even less about that. Um, So maybe uh, what I'm about to say, I'm speaking out of ignorance. I don't know. But I know that people still do travel by the stars, that it can happen. And so I'm impressed that the Magi were willing to follow the star. And here are kind of my thoughts and why it impresses me. Clearly, whatever they saw was special and unique. Right? I don't think that every year they made this same trek to Jerusalem and they told the king, where's the baby? And then they, it, this was a unique experience. This was a unique sign that they saw. So something that's unique, something that's new, it's generally unpredictable. The beauty of the stars, from what I understand... Uh, is that they are, in fact, predictable, that there's a math to it all. But you have to observe things before you can learn where they're going. Chances are, or at least in my mind, it seems like the Magi had never observed this phenomena before. If it had happened, they didn't see it. So it's also likely that they couldn't predict it. All of that to say, they didn't know exactly where they were going. Now, they, when they get to Herod, they do say, we're here for the baby born to be king of the Jews. So whatever they saw tipped them off to the fact that this baby was born king of the Jews. So they probably had a general idea that they were going to Jerusalem. But they just kind of saw the star and they set out and they went with no timeline, with no real directions. How many of you would respond to that invitation? If your cousins or your aunt or your grandma call and they say, hey, just uh, pack up the car, head east, and we'll see you in a little bit. Oh, yeah, don't forget to bring the gifts. Like, who, who would respond to that invitation? They didn't know exactly where the star would lead them. They didn't know where their final destination was. They didn't know how long it would take them 
to get there. They just knew who they were going to see and that it would be worth it. It's not enough for us to simply know that God is working or to know what he's doing. Are you willing to follow him in it, regardless of specifics? How far are you willing to go to follow God in his plan? Do you think that if the wise men reached Jerusalem and the star was still far off in the east, that they would have said, we made it this far. What more does God want from us? Let's just go home. You know, I think we've, did, we've done enough. If, they, if the trip took them an extra week, would they have said, all right, like, we got to get back home. Like, we can't. We don't have another week in us. We got to go home. Was there some line that they had drawn and they said, look, we're willing to go this far. So God, do whatever you want in this time, in this space, because after that, we're done. We do that, don't we? We say, God, do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. You can use me however you want, just so long as I'm comfortable, just so long as I don't have to go too far away from home, just so long as I don't have to give up that job, just so long as I can keep this relationship. We put strings on our obedience. We put strings on our faith. Here, God, this is yours. But then we hold on to the strings. And at the first sign of a false move from God, we pull them back, and it's ours. And we want to take over control again. The Magi didn't set out with expectations. They just knew that their destination would be worth it. How about you? Do you have expectations about what your journey would look like? That so long as your journey with Christ looks a certain way, feels a certain way, then you're on board. But as as soon as some turbulence happens, you're jumping off. You're going to take over control. Or are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to see the baby that was born to be your Savior? The The Magi were watching for something. They were watching for something worth waiting for and worth traveling for. Are you watching for God's leading in your life? And when you see it, are you going to be willing to follow it? Let's uh, pick back up in the rest of the story. We'll read uh, verse 7 through 12. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What an incredible journey. Years in the making. The study of the stars, seeing and interpreting the signs, preparing for and then actually traveling, then talking to the king, finding the baby that was born to be king. 
We know that a lot went into this because of their reaction. The NIV says that they were overjoyed. Uh, The English Standard Version says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Have you ever felt that kind of joy? If you haven't, just watch one of the Ott girls open up their Christmas gifts, and you'll know what it means to have exceeding joy. Um, But you don't celebrate something like that. You don't celebrate with exceeding joy for something that you did on a whim, for something that you didn't invest a lot into, something that you weren't hoping to come to fruition. You celebrate when years and years of hard work and study and preparation come together and you finally see the fruit of that before you, that's when you celebrate with you celebrate exceedingly with great joy. And then they finally go into the house and they see Mary and the baby, and what do they do? They fall down and they worship. They presented their gifts. The Magi had been watching for something. They had been preparing, and they were watching and waiting, but they weren't looking for anything. They weren't looking to get anything out of it. They didn't come to get in on the future king's good side. They weren't sent as ambassadors looking to fix foreign relations. They weren't seeking to make themselves look great. They came to give gifts. They came to worship. And then what did they do? They went home. They returned to their country. Their stay couldn't have been long. If they stayed any extended period of time, Herod would have sent out his men to find these magi, to find this baby. We know, reading through the rest of the story, that Mary and Joseph and the baby, they flee to Egypt because Herod sends out a decree to kill all of the babies. So they couldn't have stayed long. The longer they stayed, the greater the risk So for the baby and for them and for Mary and Joseph. So the stay, I'm sure, was short-lived. One of the main factors that goes into our willingness to travel is the payoff, right? We aren't likely to drive six hours to stay somewhere for one. That's not really worth it. Unless you're going to spend time with Jesus. And then there's no distance There's no time that's too short. There's no time that's too long. It's all worth it. And the Magi traveled for weeks at least, and their preparation spans a much longer time than that. All to come and worship for a brief moment and then go home. The Magi saw the sign in the stars. They were watching for something. They were looking for nothing. They weren't looking to get anything out of it. A lot of times in our lives, we do stop and we look for God. We try to evaluate what God is doing, where he's working, where his hands are. But we do it seeking to benefit ourselves, seeking to leverage what God is doing to benefit ourselves, to use God to bring our own plans. We want to know where God is so we can leverage him. Jesus didn't come so that he could be used. He came to save us. He came so that we could worship him. Now, don't get me wrong. There are benefits to knowing Jesus. There are benefits to being in the middle of what God is doing. We see that with the Magi. Worshiping wasn't a chore for them. That's what this trip was all about. 
was to go and worship. That's what all of their hard work was for. Not so that they could get rich. They gave their gifts away. Not so that they could receive any benefit, but simply so that they could go and they could worship. They went to great lengths, greater lengths than probably were willing to go, to worship a baby boy. And they didn't know the end of the story like we do. But they still had faith. They did more than us to worship someone they know less about. And it wasn't a chore for them. They didn't need anything from Jesus because knowing Jesus is the gift. Knowing Jesus is our greatest benefit. Jesus doesn't give us good gifts. He is our good gift. Finally, being able to worship the Messiah led the Magi to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. 